Greetings again this afternoon. As I mentioned this morning, I had a, another topic that's just been kind of, uh, just been feeling kind of burdened. I wanted to maybe share on it and um, give a little more teaching, maybe a little more clarification on on this particular topic, the topic that I'd like to um, discuss is what we mean when we say that we believe that we can be perfect. And I've been kind of feeling that burden here for a little while. And then uh, Friday evening, we asked Zeb if there was any doctrinal points that thought maybe he'd like to hear a little more teaching on or maybe um, any of his thoughts. And I uh, and he shared that he, he thinks that would be a good topic. And I, so that resonated with me, and I had been feeling the same way. And uh, so, again, just ask that you be prayerful. I, I'm fully aware, bringing up a topic like this, that it's pretty easy to get shot at after, you know, uh, addressing a topic like this. And it's filled with a lot of misunderstanding. And usually, and if, we, if we take the next 45 minutes discussing this, it will probably generate hours of other questions that will then create hours of discussion, and, and uh, it's just kind of how that goes. But I would like to pro- provide a little bit of, hopefully, provide a little bit of clarification on what we mean when we say we believe that we can be perfect. And um, I've written down some verses here. There's a number of verses I'd like to look at. I don't know that we're going to get to all of it here um, this afternoon. There's so many different trails we could go down with this particular topic. I guess specifically what I'd like to address is what we don't mean. I'd like to give some clarification of what we don't mean by saying that we are perfect, that we believe we can be perfect. I'd like to give some clarification of what we do mean when we say that we believe we can be perfect. And I'd like to begin by sharing some verses that clearly state that we're commanded to be perfect. It's clearly a biblical teaching. The word perfect is, is a scriptural word that's found in numerous places throughout both the Old and the New Testament. And so it's a, it's a word we need to understand. It's a word that's highly misunderstood, but it's a word that we do need to understand. And so maybe we can begin by having a prayer, and then we'll, we'll uh, proceed then. <clears throat> Father in heaven, again we come before thee, thankful that we can bow before thee, thankful, Father, that we can ask for thy help, Lord, not just in, in, in a few things, but we can ask for thy help in everything that we do. We pray that all that we would do, Lord, would be as unto thee. And Certainly, Lord, we feel the need for thy help whenever we try to teach on doctrine that is highly misunderstood in our day and time. Doctrine, Lord, that has been abused and taken out of context and spoken evil against. Lord, we have a a desire and a burden to recover and reclaim those foundations that have been covered over, that have been heaped upon the dust of the ages, Lord, that where men have forgotten the high and holy calling of being a child of God. And Father, we would have the desire that that would come and raise up 
the foundations of many generations, that there could be a recovering father of those beautiful truths that lead men into righteousness and holiness and into the very image of Christ. Father in heaven, there's teachings that the devil tries to fight very hard against and against all truth. And just pray, Father, that the words that I would speak here would add clarity, not any confusion. Father, that it could provide light and not any darkness. That it could provide hope and not discouragement. Lord, that it would inspire us and challenge us and even chasten us, that we might seek to do better. Lord, we love Thee and we thank Thee. We thank Thee for these opportunities and pray that Thou would bless our thoughts now and our med- the meditation of our hearts as we seek to know what is Thy will and how Thy children ought to be and how we ought to act and what Thou hast done there on that cross of Calvary and in Thy resurrection, what has been done. And may it not be in vain that Thy blood was shed, O Lord. May it not be in vain that Thou did die on, on that cross. But Lord, may it accomplish all that thou hast chosen and desired it to accomplish would be our prayer and plea. We love thee, Lord, and we thank thee. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to begin Matthew five forty-eight. We're going to jump around and read a number of verses here initially. I'd like to establish, and many of us are familiar with it already, <clears throat> the different verses. And it seems like from this pulpit, um, perfection, the calling of perfection, is, is it's just uh, it's interesting to me how many times we open to verses that speak on this. And so it's something that we've, we've heard a fair amount about. And yet still, there seems to be a fair amount of confusion in some, in some, uh, among some. Not necessarily among us, but among some. And, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to always um, convince everyone. But one thing that I, I really want to try to help with is if there is someone that's genuinely seeking. You know, there's a difference between someone who's genuinely seeking to understand and and. and truly wants to do what's right and to understand what's right, and yet they just don't have understanding of it. They have misunderstanding of it. They haven't maybe been taught. And so there's confusion there, but they, they generally want to know. Um, there's, there's a genuineness about them that they just they want to know what's right and what's true. And I'd, I'd like to, as, as all of you, we want to try to help with that. We're fully aware, too, that there are those who just simply don't believe. And I don't know that there's a lot we can do, but I, even in that particular situation, I want to do all within our means, all within our power to try to clear up any kind of misunderstanding or confusion just so that there wouldn't be anything that we're doing that would cause any kind of stumbling block and make it harder for them. I want to remove that. And sometimes by just giving some teaching on it, maybe that would help. Maybe we'd win a brother. We don't know. Um, maybe we'd be able to win someone that will be able to hear this teaching at some other time. Maybe we can provide a little more clarification. So um, that being said, let's jump into a number of these scriptures to, to begin by establishing 
that it is a commandment. Whether we understand it or not, we are commanded to be perfect. The words of the Lord in Matthew 5, verse 48 says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. I'd like to go to 2 Corinthians 13, 11, where Paul writes, Second Corinthians 13.11, he says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. In Ephesians 4.13, it says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In Colossians 1.28, we read, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. I'm just going through kind of systematically here through this, the scriptures in order. This is maybe not uh, exhaustive, but this certainly does establish our calling as the children of God. Hebrews 6.1 says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. James 1.4 says, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So, can any of us argue with that? The words of the Lord, the words of Paul, the writer of Hebrews, um, James, all establish that there is this level of perfection that we are to attain unto. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not, hey, if you can get there, try to do it. But it, it is clearly a commandment that we are commanded to do. And I think a lot of times it's, it's highly misunderstood. What we hear a lot of times is, well, that can never happen. That can never be. We'll never be perfect. Any of us that have ever had a conversation on this particular doctrine has met up with that rebuttal where they have come and we often hear we can never be perfect. And so right out of the chute, we're left with an impossibility. We, we read something here. Christ is commanding us to do something that according to most people, we cannot fulfill. It's impossible to fulfill. And that's not the heart of God. God is not asking his children. God is not cruel. God is not mean. God is not hard. God is not commanding us to fulfill things that he's going to have to cast us into hell for, for not fulfilling. That's not the God that we serve. When God asks us to do something, he gives us every means to be able to fulfill it. And yet, the, 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 the constant rebuttal is, is that it's not possible. It can't be done. 
right on the tails of that is usually the idea, the thought is expressed, there's only ever been one who's been perfect. There's only ever been one man on the earth that's been perfect, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would say the Lord Jesus Christ was certainly perfect. But to say that Jesus Christ was the only one, the only man ever perfect on the earth is not biblically accurate. To say that Jesus Christ was the only perfect man who ever walked the earth is not biblically accurate. Scripturally, the Word of God tells us that Noah was perfect in his generations. The Scripture tells us, the Word of God tells us that Job was a perfect man. The Word of God tells us that Asa, that his heart was perfect toward God. It says the same thing about David, that David, when he died, his heart was perfect toward God. And it says the same thing about Hezekiah, that Hezekiah had a perfect heart towards God. I believe that men like Enoch, though the Scripture doesn't tell us, but Enoch was translated, it tells us, that he didn't see death. And so was Elijah. And it would be my personal belief that those men were perfect men. And that they were translated. They didn't see death. So to say that it's impossible, and to say that no man has ever done it but the Lord, it's, it's simply not true. It's false. They're believing a lie. And they may even be in the sin of unbelief. I hope not. And I'm not by any means suggesting that everyone that doesn't understand this particular teaching is in the sin of unbelief. There are many dear ones that, that, I, that, that we really love and appreciate and would feel our brethren who don't understand this. So I think it's necessary to try to help establish and clarify what we are not saying. Because there are some things that we are not saying. When we say that we believe that we can be perfect, almost immediately the accusation comes, past once we get past it's not possible, there's been no man perfect but the Lord Jesus Christ, and then quickly on that is, oh, so you think you're God. You think you're Jesus. You think you're holier than thou, as they say. What we are not saying, we are not saying that we are infallible. We are not saying that we are infallible. And what I mean by that is, we are not taking upon us the... I'm going to have to... Thank you. We're not saying that we're infallible. We're not saying that it is not possible. I'll let them get situated back there a little bit. I'm guessing children were a distraction too. I hope the Lord, I'm, you know, I know the Lord just always would have smiled. I try to. <laughs> Thank you.
we're not claiming the perfection of divinity. We're not claiming the perfection of the Godhead. We're not saying that we are perfect in all knowledge. You understand what I mean by that? We're not saying that we will be perfect and that we will understand everything. We're not claiming to be free from all ignorance. It's still very possible for us that we will not know everything. In fact, it would, we will not know everything. It's very possible for us to not know as we walk out in the yard that there's a bunny hole out in that yard, and we don't know that that bunny hole's there. We're in ignorance of that bunny hole, and we're walking in the yard, and we step in that bunny hole, and it twists our ankle, and we fall to the ground, and we hurt our leg, we hurt our, our knee, and, and we writhe in pain there on the ground because we tripped in a bunny hole that we were ignorant of. We are not claiming that type of perfection. That perfection belongs to God alone. That, that perfection of, of the divine nature that knows all things, has all knowledge of everything that has ever been and everything that will ever be, that belongs to God. That does not belong to us. We will not know all things. We will, we will continue to the day that we die, we will have ignorance. We are not claiming to have the, 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 the divine attribute of all power, of having all ability, so that we can wake up in the morning and we can organize our schedule and we are, we are perfect. And so therefore we can organize this schedule in such a way that everything will just run smoothly. There will, it will... It will Operate without a, without a hitch, without a hiccup. It's just going to go perfect throughout that day. We'll never have that ability, that kind of power, to be able to do that kind of a thing. That belongs to the divine nature. We are flesh and blood. But to the divine nature who has that ability to, to have all power, he can do that. That's not what we're talking about. We're not saying that it's not possible for us, if we're going to be heading to Illinois, to not pull out of the driveway, and in a moment of distraction, in a moment of conversation, instead of taking a left here out of the driveway, we take a right, and we're heading towards Ohio. And we get down to Kingsland, and we get to the stop, and I say, what are we doing going this way? we got to turn around. we got to go back the other way. We're not talking about that type. That, God never has that problem. God never goes the wrong way. God never makes a mistake and has to back up and say, ah, I was distracted there. I didn't, didn't know what I was doing. I got to turn around here and go back the, the other way. God never has that problem. That never happens to God. We're not speaking about that type of perfection when we're talking about the belief that we can be perfect. And I think we need to establish those kinds of things. I think we need to establish that and, and clarify that there's a whole list of, of literally thousands of things that we're never going to be perfect in that sense. Are you following me with that? Does that make sense? And I think that others hopefully need to understand that. That's not what we're claiming. That belongs to God and God alone. But there are things that we can be perfect in. And we need to know what those things are. And we need to understand what we are actually being called into 
and the level of perfection that we can have and that we must have, and that if we're going to be a child of God, it's, it's not up for, it's not an option. It's something that we must strive after and, and obtain. I want to read from, I want to go back to Leviticus, if I could, and read a few verses from Leviticus. I see some dull looks out there, and I hope it's just because you're tired, not because I've lost all of you. But um, I, I guess uh, we'll have plenty of opportunity to continue to discuss this, but In Leviticus chapter 22, I'm going to read here from verse 21, Leviticus 22, verse 21, and whosoever offereth, I'm going to go into verse 22 as well, I'm sorry, 21 and 22, and whosoever offereth a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow or a freewill offering in beeves or sheep. Beeves would have been cattle, cows, I believe, or heifers and, and that. Or a freewill offering in beeves or sheep. It shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. Blind or broken or maimed or having a wen or a scurvy or a scab, you shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar. Unto the Lord. So now I'd like to think about this a little bit. I'd like to think of that little sheep that's going to be offered up here. And the Lord's requirement for that sheep is that it be perfect. It couldn't have, it couldn't be blind. If, if, if it had gotten its eye poked out somehow or another and it was, was what it was, it was knocked out or it was white, it was unacceptable to take that sheep and present it to God as an offering. God wanted a perfect sheep. And there's not one of us in this room, I'm fully confident, there's not one of us in this room that is thinking in the least that that sheep was God. Do you know what I mean by that? When we say we can be perfect and we get accused of being, oh, so you think you're God. There's only been one perfect, and that's Jesus Christ. That, so you must think that you're God. Okay, so we're talking about something a little different than what's been understood, right? We're looking at something here, and this sheep, it's possible for a sheep to be perfect is what we're understanding here. It's possible for a sheep to be perfect without blemish. You couldn't take it. It couldn't be oozing out, as it says here, uh, or having a win. It couldn't have an open oozing sore. And you remember what it's like. You remember, I I can remember as a kid hearing about hogs and before they were going to take them off, and sometimes they developed this big old boil. And I can remember hearing these terrible stories of, you know, opening up that boil, that wound, and just seeing this terrible pus come out. God doesn't, God's not going to accept that. Well, he wouldn't certainly accept a sow anyhow, but, but he's not going to take a, he's not going to take a, 
a sheep that has a scurvy or a wen, a, an oozing sore. He's not going to take something that, that's scabbed over. I mean, you look at this, this sheep that comes up here, and it's, and it's just, what is wrong with this sheep? It's missing an eye. It's, it's limping because its leg got busted up. It's maimed. It's, it, it looks like half of the wool's been tore off of it. It looks like it got hit by a semi coming down the road and somehow made itself back into the, the pen. Well, hey, you know what? We don't need that one anymore. Let's just give that one to God. Let's just take that one and just offer that one up because he's clearly not going to make it anyhow. You see his skin all crusted over with scabs and scurvy, and it would be disgusting. It would be absolutely disgusting. God wanted a perfect sheep. God wanted one that was whole. What was that perfect sheep? That perfect sheep was that sheep that was just exactly how God created it. That's what it was. That sheep couldn't jump through hoops. That sheep couldn't climb up stairs and like go tuck itself in a bed at night. That sheep wasn't able to get in a car and drive off. It had no special ability other than just being a sheep. But as a sheep, it was supposed to be a perfect sheep. God wasn't expecting it to have all knowledge. God wasn't expecting it to be able to do tricks that it just simply didn't have the information or the know-how within its genetic code to do anything other than just be a sheep. But as a sheep, God wanted that sheep to be perfect. If it had a scab, it wasn't perfect. Now, that's not hard for us to understand, is it? And none of us here are going to sit there and think, well, that sheep, if it's perfect, I guess it's, there's nothing perfect but God. So that sheep must be God. Well, we, none of us would think a thought like that. We wouldn't even argue. It doesn't even have to be argued. It shouldn't even have to be said. God wanted a perfect sheep. And that sheep needed to be just exactly what God made that sheep to be. It was nothing more. It was nothing less than that. It was just a sheep. Where all could we go with that? We could look at the flowers. I love looking at flowers, not as much as my little girls like looking at flowers, but I love looking at flowers, and I love seeing that flower that comes up, and it's got all of its petals. It's got all of the vibrant hues that it's supposed to have. It's fully intact. The frost hasn't gotten it. Is there anything wrong at all with praising God for making a perfect flower? Isn't that what I believe it is? Or do I look and say, well, it's not really perfect. Do I mock God like that? Do I, do I dare insinuate or suggest that my Heavenly Father has not created a perfect flower when I look at this flower and it's exactly what it's supposed to be with, with all of the colors? And just like that sheep that's maimed and broken and blind, you can have a, a flower that got trampled on or that got frosted or the heat came and scorched it and it's not perfect any longer. But in its, in, its, in its being what God has made it to be, is it not perfect? Would any of us dare say, oh, that's not perfect? God created it. Our Heavenly Father created this flower, and it's perfect. It's beautiful. I was looking at our grapes again last night, and I see those little, those little teeny tiny little smallest little, they're almost forming into a little separate ball now. And they are so tiny. I wouldn't eat them. I don't know how they taste if you ate them, but I'm sure it wouldn't be good. But would there be any of us here that would look at that little tiny grape that's formed and say it's not perfect? It's created of God. 
It's doing exactly what the information that God put into it to do. It's doing that. It's fulfilling his will as a little teeny tiny little grape in the development stage that it's in right now. It's accomplishing that. Would we say anything other than perfectly? It's not trying to become an apple. It's not trying to become a banana. It's not trying to do anything other than what God put in it to do, and that's to be a grape. And so we say it's a perfect, it's perfect. Now, it's not a ripe grape where we're going to eat it yet, but it's a perfect grape. And as it continues to develop week by week, it's going to reach the point, unless we get some other strange frost or something unexpected, a worm gets on it and it starts, or the sheep gets out of the pen and gets nailed by a semi, we're going to continue to say, that's a perfect grape. And when we take that grape off and we eat it, and say, that's a perfect grape. Couldn't we just go on and on and on on that? When we look around, we look at the, the, the bugs, we look at the birds. I think about those beautiful birds. We have feeders. We've been putting feeders out there by the window. And you see these beautiful birds. They come up. And now all the men of the earth put together, combined together. You took every man upon the face of the earth and said, now tell me, you form a goldfinch. This teeny tiny little bird hardly takes up anything. And no space at all, hardly. You get all the men of the entire earth, make me a goldfinch, and we couldn't do it. Not all the combined power of humanity could come up with a goldfinch if we had to to save our life. It just couldn't be done. And you see this little tiny goldfinch there, its feathers are perfectly smooth. They're gold, they're, they're black. I look at those goldfinches there, and don't we say, that, that's, it's beautiful. It's perfect. But probably all of us have seen a buzzard flying in the air, circling around, getting ready to come down and eat. And we looked up and we can see if we've observed them at all any length of time. We can look at that thing and sometimes you look up at a buzzard that maybe didn't get away from the car in time. And, it, and as you're looking at it, you notice there's a feather or two missing from it. I don't know that I'd say that's perfect. Something's happened there. But you see that beautiful big bald eagle that's sitting there in all of its stately form and all of its majesty as it sits there on that branch, stately-like, and its feathers are just plumed, just perfect. It's perfect, isn't it? Because God created it. And we don't at all attribute anything of Godhead to any of that. None of us ever elevate that up to the point of Godhead where we would worship and say, well, that eagle there sitting stately like that, all plumed and looking pretty, must think he's God. We don't do that. None of us think that. We give honor and glory to God. None of us question that when Adam and Eve were formed there in the garden, that they were anything other than perfect before sin entered in. That was God's plan and intention and his original desire was that there would be this humanity here upon the earth that very simply would be able to demonstrate to the angels and the principalities and the powers and the heavens that they would be able to demonstrate to these, that these spiritual beings 
the manifold wisdom of God. That they would be able to look down on this perfect humanity, this perfect creation, Adam and Eve and their, their, their offspring, and then just like we glorify God in the flowers and we glorify God in the, in the birds and the creation and the trees, and we can see how beautiful it all is. That the angels of heaven would be able to look down upon this humanity and that they would be able to glorify God at what he had done. And that was God's original intention. And they were perfect in that. They were not God, just like that flower is not God. But God had a purpose for them. God had a plan for them. And until sin entered in and death came upon all things, and so now we have crushed flowers, and now we have gross-looking sheep, and now we have birds that fly in the air that are, their feathers get ruffled up and they've been hit by cars. And, but before sin entered into the world and death came, God had a perfect plan. It's been messed up. But God's plan is still the same today. And that is to have a people who can demonstrate what God's original intention was and that Eden could be restored again among humanity. That men being redeemed and purchased by Jesus Christ could be converted and brought now into a right relationship again where they could now again demonstrate what God's original plan and purpose was. And in that place of being restored back, of being the old man being done away with, that sinful man, that was, he was imperfect, he was defiled, he was corrupted. The only thing good to do with him was to kill him and bury him in baptism. But with the resurrection of the new man comes that beautiful gospel that humanity can be restored now again back to God's original plan and his original purpose and his original intention. And that man, being man as God intended, can be perfect. Does that make sense? Am I, am I, maybe I'm going to need to go into that a little bit more. Maybe at some other point. God doesn't want a blind or a broken or a man. What's so wonderful about that? What's so wonderful when you have a group of people who say, I'm forgiven and I'm going to heaven. I'm still broken. I'm still blind. I'm still maimed. I still have oozing pus sores with all this disgusting yellow oozing out of me, the sin. I'm scabbed over. I'm scurvy. I've maimed. I look like I've been hit on the road. I have nothing attractive about me, but praise God, I'm going to heaven when I die. And to be perfect? No. I can't be perfect. Only God's perfect. And they missed the entire point. What were you saved from then? What were you saved from then? We've been taken as blind and as broken, as maimed, covered in our blood, as it says there in Ezekiel oozing pus sores, bruised from the head to the foot, defiled and broken and lost in sin. Could God have any other standard for his children other than perfection? Would there be anything that great 
that would have required the death of his son, the shedding of his blood, the scourging and the, the, the mocking and the, the putting him on that cross? Would it be that great of a salvation if, in, if after it was all said and done, if after it was all performed, men were still men living in their sin, still living as broken humanity? What would we say? What did that actually accomplish? What was the purpose of that? Was it really needful for the Son of God to come and die and suffer that kind of death if after all it's only going to produce still blind, broken, maimed, wen, scurvy, scabbed, ugly, gross sheep? There's nothing glorious about that. And what we want to talk about is that when we're talking about that Christ is calling us into perfection, we're saying that Jesus Christ, when he shed his blood, and when he died that cruel death on that cross, and he rose again, it was to redeem a people. It was to raise up a people that are truly washed from their sin, that their sin is truly removed, and that we can be now a new humanity, a new people, who are again going to now demonstrate once again to the angels the manifold wisdom of God. That's glorious. So in what ways can we be perfect? I'll just touch on a few, and there's so many things that we're going to need to discuss after this because I'm not going to tell you how to be perfect. I'm not going to tell you how to go about doing it, but I'm going to tell you in what ways God does expect us to be perfect. God does not expect us to be perfect, as I said, in order to have all knowledge, to be infallible. We'll never be, or, or that we're going to be free from all ignorance. We're going to be free from all, uh, and a thousand other things. That's, that's here. What, what, but what does God expect us to be perfect in? And I'm only going to name a few. Doesn't God expect us, and can't we love him with all of our heart? soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself. Is there any one of us here, I hope not, that would say that we can't do that and that we can't do it perfectly? What one of those commandments there in the Sermon on the Mount can't we keep? As newborn, grace-given creatures, filled with the Holy Spirit, which of those teachings there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Loving your enemies. If you get hit on the right cheek, turn the other as well. Not swearing oaths. Which one of those teachings can't you keep? There was that rich man that came to the Lord. And he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The Lord said, why do you call me good? There's only one good. He says, you know the commandments. And he went through them. The man said, you know, I've done all that from my youth. He was really close to perfection. What of these commandments can't you keep? The Lord looked at that man and he said, you've done well. I'm paraphrasing. But there's one thing yet that you lack. And it says there that the Lord loved him. 
He loved him, and he looked at him, and he said, Go and sell all that thou hast, and you'll be perfect. And he walked away from that place sad because he had great riches. You know, and there's so many today, they come and they say, can't be. It can't be. I can't be perfect. You can't be perfect. But what it really is, when we really get down at the very crux of it, the really heart of it, the, the real, right down there, the real rub, the thing that's real abrasive that makes everybody take shots at a preacher that preaches on something like this. You know what it really is? And in the, in their heart of hearts, in the quiet moments, which are harder to get nowadays with all the noise, but in their quiet moments, you know what they have to come to realize is the only reason they're actually not loving God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, the only reason why they're not keeping all the commandments there in the, in the New Testament, the only reason why they're walking away sad after the Lord asks them to do something is because after all, and this is the real rub, after all, they don't want to. They don't want to be perfect. They want forgiveness. They want heaven. They want the assurance of heaven. They want the title of a Christian, but they're not willing to give up and to do what God is actually asking them to do. So it's a real issue of the will, really, the moral will. It really basically comes down to they don't want to do it. And instead of owning it and being honest about it, They'd rather just say it's not possible. And that's the point when they enter into that camp of the unbeliever and that sin of unbelief. And God's not under any obligation with an unbeliever. You see what I'm saying there? That's the rub. Because it ultimately sorts down between who's really a Christian and who's not. Between the, the real Man who says, Lord, I'll do anything you ask me to do. And when he says, okay, go ahead and go sell it. And okay, Lord, here, I'm, I'll do it right now. Whatever it takes to be perfect. This man, he comes, what, what, what must I do? There's one thing lacking in him. And he says, uh, not that one. And it separates between the sheep and the goats. It separates between what's an acceptable offering unto the Lord and what is a blind or a broken or a maimed or a win or a scurvy or a scabbed. It separates all that out. And then we try to pawn it off of, you must thank your God. No, nope, not that at all. We're just trying to be that beautiful flower that God created. That's all. We're just trying to be that beautiful sheep that God created. We're not trying to go beyond that or below that. We're just trying to be that perfect humanity that Christ died and shed his blood to achieve and to purchase and to have. And is not the lamb that was slain worthy to receive the honor and the glory and the riches of his suffering. Is he not worthy of that? And could that be anything less than something that is perfect? No, it can't be. I don't want to talk it away. I don't want to try to explain it away. I want to say that's the standard, and that's what we have to achieve. God helping us as his new humanity. Nothing less than that will do. Nothing less than that is Christian. Nothing less than that is Christian. And I'll say it again. Nothing less than that is Christian. We could go on and on into helps and 
what all that looks like and what it doesn't look like continued. And I think we'll need to continue to do that. But trust that can be laid to our hearts. I hope and pray that can add a little clarity. And um, may God bless his word.